Hi, this is Jennifer Javornik, and you're listening to the Film and Games Podcast. This year, I attended the Games for Change Festival in New York City. Tune in to all the interviews in this series to hear insightful conversations with some of the best minds in educational gaming. Today, I have a very special guest with me that I'm honored to be with, and I'd love her to introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Madeline DiNono. And I have the privilege of serving as the president and CEO of the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media. And we are a research-driven think tank that looks at authentic representation of characters and narrative and storytelling in global advertising, global film, global TV, and most recently, as of a few years ago, gaming. So we are absolutely thrilled to be here I'm really thrilled that Games for Change invited me to present today, and you'll hear more about what we're up to. Well, yeah, exactly. Let's jump right into it. What are your findings in games, and how do when you think about the game industry and the work do you do, what what's encouraging to you, and where is there still work to do? So there is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, we were very fortunate to receive a grant from the Oak Foundation based in Geneva. And they were very concerned about violence against women, about toxic masculinity, and also understanding the power of gaming to not only influence cultural behaviors, but a very important environment for self-expression and bonding for men and actually boys. And so they asked us to conduct this study. And so what we did a few years ago is we looked at Twitch as a platform. We looked at the top 20 streamers on Twitch. We looked at what they were streaming. We looked at what they were saying. And we looked at what people were saying. And then we also did a survey. So we actually examined nearly 30,000 characters in 684 segments of video games. We looked at 225,000 comments in the chat. And then we actually followed up uh, with a survey of about a thousand men and boys ages 10 to 26. Wow. That is a lot of work. A lot of work. Okay. Tell us what came out of that. And so starting with content, uh, we found out that, you know, female characters were only 20% of all the characters, Uh, 75% of the characters were male. When you look at other uh, identities, uh, the LGBTQIA community was 0.3%, where if you benchmark it against our current census data, it's about 7%. When you look at people of color, they were only 25% of all the game characters, and people of color in the United States are 40%. And when we look at disabilities and age and body type and all other kinds of dimensions, there's literally little to no uh, representation. What we also found is that when there is a female character, she was five times more likely to be depicted as nude, 10 times more likely to be depicted with sexually revealing clothing. We found that uh, the male lead characters were mostly white. Uh, And when it came to violence, 50% 50% of them were always carrying a gun. 
they were much more likely to be killing 10 plus humans. Uh, we found that white, the white male lead characters in gaming were more likely to be conducting violence, but to benefit themselves versus when we did find that uh, with regard to people of color as lead characters, if they were in a situation where there was violence, it's because they were protecting society or protecting someone. Mm. Um, when it comes to what the streamers were saying, there was a tremendous amount of aggressive language, what we call a lot of toxic masculinity, reinforcing the very gendered stereotypical of be a man and uh, that type, a lot of um, language around uh, sexism, racism, homophobia, um, all the things that you can, you know, imagine. Um, and then that also influenced what was being said in the chat and that we found similarly a lot of sexist language, a lot of violent language, a lot of bullying. So that's when we look at kind of the bad and the ugly, but now when we want to look at the good in our survey of the, a thousand men and boys aged 10 to 26, for our young gamers, gaming has been the most fabulous environment for them to connect with their friends. They said that video games has taught them to be a better friend. They feel that they can be themselves. And even with older gamers, we found that they were able to form deep and meaningful relationships. They felt that they could express themselves in a way that they couldn't express. They felt that they could share their problems and when they felt like they couldn't do that in their real life. And if you layer on COVID and the isolation, uh, gaming was a lifeline mm -hmm. for a lot of these men and boys during such a critical, critical time. So it was very, very eye-opening. And of course, we recognize that this was one platform. It was Twitch and does not represent the entire universe of gaming, which hopefully we'll get into with our next project. But it was very, very insightful. Right. How did you go, go about picking the games, the streams, all that? Well, we looked at the top 20 streamers on Twitch and we analyzed what they were playing. Got it. And most of the games that they were playing were in, I'd say, the top 20 games for the most part. There were some indie games mixed in, but it's kind of the usual suspects. Yeah, sure. Okay. That was a lot. Thank you for sharing all of them. And it's impressive that she's not reading anything, people. Those are all by memory. Um, so, okay, so that report came out. What was the reception? Well, what was interesting is uh, we socialized it in, in a series of events. We also partnered with Yuki, which is the UK Trade Association for Gaming. We were able to present it there along with a panel. And as a result, we actually were approached by some major game companies and have been doing some private consulting, all focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and product character storyline. And that's been really, really helpful to us. We've presented it everywhere. And I've presented almost once a week. But now we have an opportunity to go even deeper. Yes, we tell me about that. I'm so We talked about it a little before, and I think... This is, you know, we heard about the problem, and I'm so excited that you are coming out with a solution. Absolutely. We're so privileged that the Oak Foundation 
has provided us with a second grant to go even deeper and to fill in the blanks and conduct research and curate research from everywhere around the world with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion, and character and storytelling in gaming from a broader standpoint. So we have a more 360 point of view of where the state of gaming is with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion. So we're working on that paper, which will be ready August 31st. And then we hope to be able to do a big event, whether it's in person, virtual, combination of both. And that paper is going to inform uh, the impact part of this, which the Oak Foundation has charged us with developing a free digital self-assessment tool that can be used by developers uh, to help them with a framework on how to think about character development, alternative storylines, narrative, with a lens on diversity, equity, inclusion. So for example, if you're a developer and you're thinking about uh, a female character, maybe she's Muslim, maybe she has a disability, what are the questions you can ask yourself? And so one, we'll have all of our research and all the research from the study. Two, uh, whoever it is that's involved in the self-assessment tool can either perhaps assess where they are and also be given tools and resources. But the really important thing is that we can't develop this thing in a box. Mm -hmm. So we are aggressively forming an advisory council comprised of leading game companies because we want them to come together like they've come together for the ESA and other initiatives to put eyes on this so we can present to them, this is, this is our intent, this is the impact, this is how we're thinking about developing the tool. What do you think? How would you use it? How would you embrace this? And how is this going to work for you? And so that's one of the steps that I'm working on right now in, anticip in anticipation of the paper being ready at the end of, of the summer. I'm so excited. We talked about this before. I'm in, and I hope to be able to contribute. I want to also make introductions. So Philman's a big deal in the Games for Impact studio, but we're small compared to AA, AAA studios. So I also intend to make a lot of introductions to you so we get a good cross-section. Okay, so now it's time to play. I'm going to be just be devil's advocate and ask you uh, some questions. I think I know the answer to, but I'd love to hear yours. So... Um, if, if the types of game you just des describe, describe, if men are, if these are battle games that mostly men are playing and enjoying, why is representation so important? Well, I think that as a community, we want to see ourselves represented and look, women, um, or whoever you identify like to be as competitive, we want to win. Uh, so we want to be able to feel included in some way, shape, or form. So there's nothing wrong with battling. There's nothing wrong with competition. But how can we make it accessible so that we all feel like we can jump into the game? Exactly. And I mean, there was kind of a hidden, we all know because we're in this community, the ESA just public, the, published the essential facts 
we know nearly as many women play the games than men. And then people say, well, yeah, but women are playing Candy Crush. Well, some are, but some are also playing these large format games that are extremely popular and fun to play, often playing as male characters so they don't get bullied or harassed. They're kind of, you know, and, you know, it's fun to play characters that look like you because then it's it helps with the embodiment of the experience that you want to feel like a warrior or you want to feel like a soldier and kind of have the adrenaline rush of battling. Um, so that, I think, innately is one of the problems uh, involved in that. Okay, another devil's advocate question. There's a whole series of research that there's nothing wrong with battles game because even though there's violence in games, it doesn't translate to the real world. What would you just say to someone saying, well, I know that I would never... You know, in real life, I wouldn't objectify women like the game does, and it's not carrying over to my real life. So there's really no problem with that. What would you say to that? Well, there's great debate in social science on that. And I think we all know with social science, A plus B doesn't equal C, and it really comes down to the person. It comes down to their lived experience and how they interpret it, uh, particularly if you're thinking about passive gaming or even with more immersive gaming like uh, VR and, and those types. So I think it really comes down to the person, uh, their upbringing, their values, to what degree are they going to be impacted or not impacted at all. It's too difficult of a question and it can't be easily answered. There's not one answer fits all types at all. Sure. That makes sense. And because we kind of don't know why put it out there to risk, because we don't know if you're going to bring that into the real world or not. So why even have it? I would say, well, what if so it sounds like after you published your original study, some big companies came to you and kind of taken you on your research, kind of done some PD. So what are some of the ways that are exciting you about how at least the companies you're working for are rethinking about representation in games? Well, what I said earlier is there's intent and there's impact. And most people have the best intentions, but the impact of those intentions sometimes don't manifest in the way that they thought because there's so much unconscious bias, uh, particularly around character development and and narrative and storyline. And we've been able to vet and give them context for okay, there's a symbol that you want to use on a garment of a character. Is that symbol culturally appropriate? Is it not appropriate? Why is it not appropriate? Why is that character dressed that way? What's the experience that they have? And providing them with the data and the science behind it to say this is why this may be or not or may not be appropriate. It could be culturally offensive. It could be X, Y, and Z. And it's a a, a way for them to use us to provide them with the science and the literature behind it so that they can make informed decisions. We're not telling anyone what to do, how to do their art, how to tell their story. We just want to be a trusted, credible resource. Oh, that's great. So you're like, here's the data. Here are things to think about. Go make your decisions. Exactly. That's great. What is um, what are some things that you're finding in games that are consistent across all media type and, and a few examples of things that are just unique to games in the work that you do? Well, I would say that 
the lack of representation for diverse female characters, uh, the intersectionality of female characters is uh, uh, much more severe in gaming, but it's, a, it's been a problem everywhere else. Although based on the work that we've done, we were able to achieve gender parity for female lead characters in the highest rated Nielsen family TV shows. And uh, prior to the pandemic, the largest grossing uh, family films, box office, theatrically. So we know our theory of change you know, can work. Uh, we have seen great progress in terms of global advertising, global TV and global film in terms of people of color, not at parity. Uh, we've seen movement on LGBTQIA. We've seen you know, some movement on other dimensions, but very, very glacial. When we did our study, and again, it, it was on the platform of Twitch, so we don't want to evaluate the entire gaming industry until we have the second. But again, LGBT community, which is 7% of our population in the U.S., was 0.3%. Uh, and also no representation of disabilities or, or other things. So I can't say that that's unique for gaming yet because that study we did was just a slight. Oh, sure. Yeah. But... Uh, we'll have to see. You know, we'll all have a more uh, definitive answer after we have our second study. Okay, good. I'll look for. I'll have to have you back on to tell us more after about it. So, when you come to Games for Change, I always love asking people who are like not in the thick of our community. Although, of course, the work you're doing is informing the work. When you look at this Games for Positive Impact community. What are your thoughts? What do you think is exciting about what we're doing and where do you think we still have room to grow? Well, I would say uh, most of the people here are understand, you know, with, as Spider-Man said, with great power comes responsibility yep. and take it very, very seriously and really understand the power of gaming uh, to drive social impact, to drive fundraising, uh, to drive um, uh, awareness, especially when you think about there's a lot of uh, people here who are very focused on the SDGs, which is the Strategic Development Goals of the UN, climate change, really looking at that. And, and there's been great case histories here of that. And so it's wielding that power. And then also there's a lot of people here that are uh, looking at education and how the power of gaming can really be a phenomenal teaching tool. Um, and also looking at how to engage uh, girls of color and marginalized community into gaming as a career opportunity. So there's just so many advantages. Uh, and it's great to hear all these wonderful speakers and wonderful initiatives that are happening here. What's part of the things, I mean, one of the, when you look at the video game community at large, like the people making games, we're underrepresented to start with. Do you think that's where innately some of the problems begin? Why there's not representation in the final product? Because we don't have kind of proportional representation in our studios? Absolutely. Just to give you a sense of a different example, <clears throat> when we did a global film study, looking at the 10 largest global film markets in the world, when there was a, say, female writer or director, it generated a 
seven to a 7.5% increase in on-screen characters. And think about it logically. If you're a storyteller, you're going to tell stories that you know or you love. So if you're not familiar with somebody else's lived experience, it may be a challenge for you to authentically represent that. And so it's important that we have a lot of voices and intersectional voices in a power position, in a development position, in a character position, so that more people can see themselves and be engaged. Yeah, I agree with that. And I and I think the I think also what's happening in 2023, this is just a theory, but correct me, is a lot of people realize like I don't want to tell the stories of other people, which is good, except that if you have a company full of white males, those are the only stories that are going to get out. So then what do you do? Well, I'd love for you to just diversify your studio. And if that's not in the cards because of your size or whatever, at least consult with the organizations where, you know, that you can collaborate on bringing in more, you know, authentic representation of characters. We have a studio have changed how we've thought about representation in games. Um, uh, you know, and we're mostly making, we're all making games. We are making games for positive impact across education and, um, activism and and corporate training, um, and when when the goal or objective of the game is is fundamentally tied to like a particular population or demographic or identity, um, we now just bring it. We just cons- we just bring into our staff. We like bring on a contractor who can authentically represent that experience. Uh, Same thing with uh, if we use voice acting, we used to, you know, there, I think there was a time where we just had the same people represent all characters. And now we bring in voice actors who authentically represent the demographic. And it's good, like about time. Like I think it just, for us, it's, I think, Society had to keep evolving for us to actually have awareness that this is important and to do it. And we're thinking about this all the time because we're a mission-based studio. So um, so I'm glad you're doing the work that you do because, like I said, we think about it because this is our – this is fundamentally what we care about. So, um, you know, I, I imagine entertainment studios, like, they – they have other goals as a studio. So you coming in and helping them and giving them frameworks to consider, I'm really hoping will push the needle, which is awesome. Um, what do you, uh, my last question for you is how did you get into this work? What's your story? What, how did you get here? Well, I've always been aware and have tracked uh, female leaders. Some people are, enamored with celebrities. I've always been enamored enamored with like female executives and how they charted and navigated their way in the business world. And so it was very easy for me to then want to shift my focus on something more social impact in nonprofit, leveraging off of a very long career that I did have successfully in media entertainment. And so it was a, a, a great transition and uh, very, very fulfilling. And, um, and that's kind of how I made that move. 
Got it. Did you, were you always in research and media or did you come from a different background? Actually, I've always been on the business side of media and entertainment and research definitely was always part of my purview, but I'm not an academic. I'm not a PhD, uh, but I was always responsible for along with marketing and sales and acquisitions and other types of. Sure. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I feel like it's such a privilege to be able to spend my career trying to do good in the world. Like I've done both like you, I've existed in businesses to, for the bottom line from the company and to pursue my company's goals. But, um, yeah, I just feel it's a privilege that, you know, I come to work every day and it's for the betterment of society. I'm, I feel like that's the only way we're going to get out of this mess that we've created for ourselves. that just all companies need to be tuned towards the great power and great responsibility in the world. Uh, so, uh, that is great. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the next step that come out. And, um, I, like I said, we'll have to have you back on to talk through those results with our community. Thank you. I would love to come back and thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the filament games podcast. If you like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what's happening at our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to visit us at our website, filamentgames.com.